Hey there, Power Hour fans. This is John Viola, and welcome back to another Italian-American Power Hour. This week, it's just us. I'm flying solo, and I'm taking you on an adventure that is near and dear to my heart because I am just back from New Orleans, Louisiana, yet again. And uh, this year, I got to serve as the Grand Marshal of the 49th Annual St. Joseph's Day Parade put on by the Italian-American St. Joseph's Society and this great weekend that I have been so pleased to be a part of for the past six years. And I spent some time getting to sit down with a couple of people who were instrumental in creating and now are instrumental in running this amazing, singular, Italian-American, Sicilian-American weekend that I think everybody needs to see at least once. And I'm going to get to share my story with you. So this is going to be a little bit of a different version of the show, a little bit more of a travel journal, um, hopefully digging in with some depth to an experience that I am just really, really proud to be a part of. But on a somber note, before we start, I want to point out that this week's episode is dedicated to a gentleman that uh, we lost on St. Joseph's Day this year, Mr. Michele Mike Greco of Mike's Deli on Arthur Avenue in the Bronx's Little Italy. Um, Mike was a pillar of not only the Arthur Avenue community, but really the Italian-American community here in New York for so many decades. And uh, as you're all probably aware, he's the father of the current uh, impresario of Arthur Avenue and the man who still runs Mike's Deli and has just grown it to a global brand, a very dear friend of mine, Mr. David Greco. And it's a somewhat sad coincidence that this all came together as it did because it's David who, as you'll find out here, first introduced me and many, many others to this amazing event down in New Orleans, and he has been such a huge part over the past 15 years of helping to grow this thing and bring an immense energy and commitment to it, all as a volunteer. And I got to be part of this because of my relationship with David. And so he's going to be a big part of the beginning of this story, and unfortunately he's not with us for the end. But uh, for all of you out there who got to know Mike like I did, he was the great Mussolini of Arthur Avenue, an incredibly captivating and charismatic guy who really did a lot for our culture, for our cuisine, for our community, and uh, he's going to be sorely missed. So we're going to take you into our time here together, but uh, we'll certainly be thinking of the entire Greco family and uh, praying for Big Mike up there looking down on us from the great deli in the sky. And with that in mind, let's make our way to New Orleans, Louisiana, and the 49th annual St. Joseph's Day Parade Weekend. It's 5.30 in the morning in New Orleans as I make my way through the labyrinthine tunnels that lead to the massive catering kitchens of the New Orleans Hilton Riverside Hotel. I'm heading off to meet my friend David Greco, the owner of Mike's Deli, the longtime cornerstone of the famous Arthur Avenue Italian market in the Bronx. We arrived in New Orleans late the previous night for what's becoming an annual tradition in my life, the St. Joseph's Day Parade Weekend, hosted by the Italian-American St. Joseph's Society of New Orleans. Besides the fact that St. Joseph's Day weekend in this predominantly Sicilian-American city is unlike any other Italian-American event in the country, thanks to David, who's been volunteering with this group for the 15 years that have passed since Hurricane Katrina threatened to bring an unnatural end to this proud tradition, I have served for the past five years as David's unofficial sous-chef as he prepares his now-famous 500-pound bowl of pasta con le sarde. There's a heavy feeling in the air that this year 
is going to be somewhat different than the previous five years in which I've participated in this usually boisterous weekend ritual. It was early Wednesday morning as I was preparing to head to the airport to meet David for our yearly Sicilian-tinged pilgrimage to the Big Easy when I felt the phone begin to vibrate my pocket. Before I even reached down to pull it out, I knew it would be David. He would be as excited as I was to get the trip started, and he'd probably be calling to make sure that we had everything we would need for the various events that make up the weekend. So when I answered his call, my voice barely able to blunt the childlike delight, I was thrown off by his somber greeting. We talked for a minute or two, and as my arm slackened and the phone slipped from my ear, I had to force my brain to refocus and register the news I had just heard. The night before, on St. Joseph's Day no less, as millions of Italians around the world, myself included, indulged in Zeppoli and Sfingi and visited their family St. Joseph's tables, David's father Mike, an icon of the Italian-American community in New York, had gone to his eternal rest. Of course, my first inclination was to cancel the trip. But, true to his character, David reminded me that he couldn't miss the event, at least not the Friday afternoon. Even before I became a part of the events in New Orleans, St. Joseph's Day has always held a special place in my heart. When my parents decided that we would leave our Italian-American enclave in Brooklyn and relocated to the suburbs of New Jersey when I was a kid, I'm convinced they did so without a functioning ethnic compass. You see, somehow, my large Italian-American family ended up finding the only town in the Great Garden State with no Italian-Americans. In a state with the highest percentage of Italian-Americans in the country, we ended up in a little Irish-American enclave in the center of the state. And for a kid who found so much to love and identify with in his Italian-American culture, the experience of growing up surrounded by a very different people was one that provided a great shock to my system. And no day felt more alien than March 17th and the annual celebrations of St. Patrick's Day, when all of my freckled and fair-skinned classmates would dress themselves in the eyesore-inducing Kelly Green and proudly present the lumpy, drywall-like soda breads that their mothers had made the night before. Struggling to swallow that strange confection, I was able to survive those countless St. Patrick's Days, buoyed by the idea that just two days later, I would have a celebration of my own. St. Joseph's Day is a holiday that means a great deal to many Southern Italians, and particularly, like my mom's family, Sicilians, where St. Joseph has been a patron of the island for many centuries. It's said that the humble carpenter answered the prayers of the Sicilian people and brought rains to end a medieval drought that had devastated the island and its food supplies. In thanks to their patron saint, the Sicilian people began to celebrate his feast by breaking with the austerity of the Lenten season and building gigantic altars throughout their communities and in their homes. Every year, these altars would be weighed down with an abundance of sweets and breads, special foods and symbolic ingredients like lemons and fava beans, and families would host celebrations where Paisani from the surrounding towns could come to visit one another and indulge in this rare abundance in recognition of their beloved St. Joseph. By the time I was growing up, the tradition had migrated to the United States with the millions of Southern Italians, and specifically Sicilian, immigrants that had made their way to our shores. And in my family, Alone in our Irish-American exile, we relished the opportunity to dress in red and to celebrate with the family dinner, and we savored the once-a-year delight of indulging in the famous St. Joseph Zeppeli. As I grew, so too did my devotion to the day and its history, and it was about six years ago that I received a call from my dear friend, the famed chef and cultural historian of Arthur Avenue, David Greco. Somehow it seems like many of my great Italian-American adventures have David at their root, 
and the relationship that I would build with the Sicilian-American community in New Orleans and their incredible celebration of St. Joseph's Day is no different. David was introduced to the Sicilian-American community of New Orleans through his longtime friend, the Emmy Award-winning actor, Michael Badalucco. Michael's another proud Sicilian, an activist for the language and culture, and a man who has given incredible amounts of time and resources to the Italian-American community. While filming a movie in post-Katrina New Orleans, Michael had gotten to know the Sicilian community there. And when he saw the desperation they were experiencing, trying to continue their long-held tradition, he knew the man he needed to call. I was fortunate that Michael, it was the year after Katrina in New Orleans, and they're having a Sicilian festival. And to Michael, being Sicilian is everything in the world. And having a father named Giuseppe was his whole life story that he was the patron saint of Sicily, and he was the carpenter, and his father was the carpenter. So it was really important for Michael, who's a chubby Sicilian actor from Brooklyn, to say we're going to New Orleans, and I was going with him. New Orleans is a special city for countless reasons but even more so to the Italian-American community. As the site of one of the earliest immigrations of Italians to the United States, and a town that over the past century has become increasingly and proudly Sicilian. For the past 49 years, an organization originally founded as the Italian-American Marching Club and today called the Italian-American St. Joseph Society, one of the largest ethnic organizations in the southeastern United States, has kept growing their celebration of the holiday from what was essentially a collection of personal altars and dinners into one of the signature events of the year in the Crescent City. Three days of festivities that were the pride of the Italian-American community of New Orleans found themselves increasingly threatened in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. And Michael, and now David, were dedicating themselves to making sure this amazing tradition wasn't lost. Always a cultural anthropologist at heart, although a non-Sicilian, when David learned about the way that the Sicilian-American community was celebrating, he saw a glaring problem in an area that he thought he could lend his time and talents to improve. You see, the traditional kickoff for the celebration was an afternoon pasta party of two to 3,000 guests. But to David, the fact that during Lent, 3,000 people were being served spaghetti and the world's largest, and in his opinion driest, meatball, ran counter to not only the traditional Southern Italian Lenten abstinences, but to the incredible wealth of the Sicilian culinary arts that had provided so many traditional recipes over the centuries. So, David set out to build a team of donors, so that he could, at his personal expense, drive down to New Orleans and cook 500 pounds of pasta con le sarde, a traditional Sicilian dish that is oftentimes at the heart of St. Joseph's celebrations for this vibrant community. So, being a chef from Little Italy in the Bronx, my heritage is from Calabria and Naples. So we really, I love to eat, obviously. So I've always respected the Sicilian traditions. And I was really fortunate that a Sicilian lady in the neighborhood named Lena used to like to cut the line. And how she'd cut the line is she'd bring me chocolate chip arancini for breakfast with her list. At Taracamando, make sure I'm not late, she used to tell me. At 11 o'clock, she'd come back for her order and she'd bring me arancini. Because Lena used to bring me these arancini, it was like having an extended Sicilian grandma who was here with a nonny who was Sicilian. I didn't know her recipes. I never had arancini. And she would always bring me this treat. And, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14 years old, you love ladies that treat you like that. When I become 18, 19, Lena was getting older. She lived on the fourth floor in the back of the Arthur Avenue market. So she would call me. Davide, please. I have your arancini ready, just get my shopping for me. And I'd put it in a bag and she'd pull it up with a rope. 
Then I'm in my early 20s and I get the call, David, that you're the only one who understands. I need your help to make the Adangini. So having a Nabli diagram, I never got to learn Sicilian recipes. So Lena would invite me up and I got this recipe. Now, there were other Sicilians in the neighborhood that would get mad that she was teaching me the recipe because I am for profit and I was going to put them on the counter. But I waited. I didn't do it right away. But they all wanted to know why Lena was teaching me. But it was because I had a passion to learn. And while I was in Lena's house, I would learn how to make the eggplant caponata Sicilian style. I don't add raisins because it makes it too sweet then, but it was her recipe. And I also was fortunate enough to see what pasta consada was about Sicilian style. And I make it a little spicier than she did, but I have to tell you, it was watching her and seeing that Sicilian noni that I didn't have give me that extra lesson. For many years, I would just make a donation to help David out while he begged me to join him in what he promised would be a once-in-a-lifetime adventure, something one had to see to believe. But it wasn't until six years ago that I finally found the opportunity to join him on his trip. I have to tell you, New Orleans has always been one of my favorite cities in the world. The culture, the food, the Catholic and European uniqueness that its history provides all make me feel absolutely at home in the Big Easy. In my many visits before going there with David, I learned it was a city with an incredible Sicilian heritage. But I never knew how Sicilian it was until I arrived with David to be an official part of the St. Joseph's weekend celebrations. The Italian American Marching Club was founded in 1970 by a small group of proud Sicilians and under the guiding hand of the Honorable Judge Anthony Russo, a Sicilian American civic leader straight out of central casting. All right, well, you know what happened in 1970. We, a friend of mine and myself, a friend of mine by the name of Joe Cardinia, who's now deceased, went to see an Irish parade. And at the end of the Irish parade were two pickup trucks. And that was supposed to be the Italian contingent, the St. Joseph contingent of the parade. It was a tack on to the Irish Channel parade. There were five or six guys in each truck, and they were throwing bananas. Uh, it was significant because when the first immigrants came over here from Sicily, the uh, first jobs that they had were on the riverfront hauling bananas. So I saw this, and this is a slap in the face at Italian-Americans. And in the New Orleans area, 95% of the Italians are of Sicilian heritage. So at that point, we decided to do something to show pride in our heritage. And that was the beginning of this organization. Uh, next year, we'll mark 50 years. We've put together an organization that demonstrates to everybody that comes down to New Orleans, and as a matter of fact, throughout Louisiana, that the Italian-Americans are alive and well in this area, and that we're proud of our heritage. What had started as a parade for ethnic recognition has grown into three days of citywide celebrations of all things Italian-American. The first time I met Judge Russo, as I settled in for a dinner, with the leadership of the Italian-American Marching Club on my first visit, 
I was struck by the presence of so many complete families, each doing their part to make the weekend a success and to pass on their traditions to the next generation. My friend Ed Catoir, the president of the club during the first of my many visits, told me that he comes all the way from Mississippi to work on this event and to make sure that his children and their children are part of something that will continue to grow. Everyone has a role, and everyone from the youngest child up to the oldest great-grandparent explained to me how singular this point in the calendar was to them and their identities. So, what started as my desire to support a great event and a great community has blossomed into a personal relationship and a sense of oneness with the event and the people behind it. So, back to Friday morning, as I wiped the sleep from my eyes and entered the familiar kitchen, I face what I know to be one of the most impressive and enjoyable culinary experiences of my life. In all the time that I've known David, I've always known him to be a man of boundless energy, but nothing proves that point more than walking down, bleary-eyed and discombobulated into the cavernous catering kitchen to find my friend already lining up ingredients and singing his orders to the kitchen staff as he begins the process of making, from scratch, with a lot of love, 500 pounds of pasta con lesarte. With that much food to be made, no pots or pans can be found with the kind of capacity that's needed, and the gigantic machine in which the sauce is cooked looks more like an industrial trough than any kitchen equipment that I've ever used. But David brings the same care and attention to his ingredients that he always does, and in short order, the kitchen's filled with the intoxicating mix of smells that so accurately surmise Sicilian cultural history. You see, pasta con is made with wild fennel greens and onions, salted sardines and raisins, pignoli nuts, sorry Pat, and countless other spices and ingredients that are a veritable list of the many cultures that have, over the centuries, called Sicily home. Also in the kitchen with us today is a mutual friend who I first met singing Pepino the Mouse at the National Italian American Foundation's gala after party when I was a teenager. Little did I know, he was a man who would spend 13 years working with David at Mike's Deli, learning the culinary arts, learning business, and learning a lot about our great Italian American community. So I've known David since I was about 15 years old. Uh, when I first moved here from Italy in the year 2000, uh, I didn't speak any English, and you know I was having a hard time just uh, get, getting used to being in New York and being, you know, on Arthur Avenue and being in the neighborhood and kind of getting acclimated. You know, coming from a real Italian background, it's a little bit different the Italian American from the real Italian. They've welcomed me with open arms. I didn't know anything, didn't have any skills. I started working with Dave. Had you know the office errands boy, you know, running errands for Dave's and doing random things, and then eventually when I started speaking English a little bit better and started going to high school, I started working as a part-time uh, in the deli and, you know, just doing your part-time work as a kid when you're growing up in high school, uh, and then from there, moving on to college, still worked for Dave and, you know, still always stayed really close until uh, it turned out to be a full-time job because I loved what I was doing, and I loved working for Dave, and then about, I think it was about 14 years ago, uh, they've told me that there is a, a huge Sicilian community in New Orleans. Um, I laughed at first because I said, Dave, come on, don't mess with me. There's no, there's no huge Sicilian community in New Orleans. Uh, so we, uh, we organized this, this trip to come down here and uh, cook pasta con sarte, So Mike Fava is now a senior executive at the Checo Pasta, one of the world's leading pasta brands. And because, like me, he's an admirer of David's incredible devotion to the Italian-American community, this year... Mike and DeCecco have joined in the celebration by donating the 500 pounds of spaghetti that will make up this singularly unique meal. And of course, because David's a perfectionist, he won't accept anything less than al dente for his pasta. 
So our, our pasta is made uh, what we call the Dechetta method, which is a, it's a four-step method that starts, starts from the grain that we buy to a spring water that we use out of the Mayela Mountains, which is where our factory is in. Uh, and it's, it's a slow uh, temperature drying pasta. Uh, the pasta that we're using today, which we're using a thick spaghetti, uh, that's been uh, slow dried for about 18 hours. So that keeps all the proteins and all the glutens of the pasta stay intact. So our pasta could be, you know, we we'll obviously have to par cook this pasta. You can't cook pasta for 500 pounds all at once. So we're par cooking it now a couple of hours before. This pasta will still be perfectly al dente when we cook it two hours later. Uh, so that's the beauty of uh, what our pasta is. And it all comes from where it's made, how it's made, the passion that goes behind it, and the fact that it's been made the same exact way since 1886. So, as he leads the hotel kitchen team in par boiling 500 pounds of spaghetti, He's got the precision of a military commander. And when one of the kitchen staff is away from his post as the pasta is supposed to be brought out, and Blanche so that it remains perfectly al dente, David flies into a tornado of activity to do it himself. Only someone who truly loves their culture could be worried about making sure that 500 pounds of pasta is perfectly al dente every year. As the morning wears on, we undertake the assembly line of tasks required to build this incomparable meal. At noon, all the pasta is laid out into great cookie sheets taking up a vast swath of the kitchen's counter space. Then, David walks to each one and intensively covers them in his beautiful sauce. Uh, you smell this gravy. And again, it's gravy because it's made from a fish stock. Raisins, pignoli nuts, and eventually, his secret ingredient, the special Sicilian breadcrumb mixture, which in Sicilian we call mudiga, that has been prepared for him by Miss Kathy, a member of the club since its inception, and a woman who handcrafts her family's special breadcrumbs just for the event. All right, we're, we're live. Go ahead. Okay, Kathy Quartararo. I've been involved in the club since 1970. I represent the first group of girls that rode in the parade, and it was it's just been a joy to continue my relationship with the club since David Greco has joined us. It's been the best thing that's ever happened to the club. He's doing the Melanisa, and I'm cooking the Mudica, which is a family tradition. It comes down from the pioneers in my family. It's a labor of love for St. Joseph, but it's a very dedicated job. How long does it take you to do them? Well, we do 12 and a half pounds, and it, it takes us about, well, with my daughter helping me now, we can do it in about two days, three days at maximum. But it again, it, it's with dedication and devotion to St. Joseph we do it, and we love doing it. Amen. And it makes a big difference. Oh, totally. That it's, taste is different. It makes the whole pasta dish work. I want you to know the chef yesterday tried them and said, she's going to have to give me the recipe. I said, there's no uh, way you're getting that recipe. Not happening. Not <laughs> happening. Would you give our audience uh, the recipe? No, 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 no. No, no. John, maybe you later, John. <laughs> I would take it in a heartbeat. David's got a very specific theory about these breadcrumbs. And so before they go out into the world, he makes sure we line up all the trays and hit them with the blowtorch so that they're perfectly seared as they get mixed into the large bowl. For me, they're one of the most heartwarming parts of the process. Fifty giant Ziploc bags brought in by one proud Sicilian woman from the community who's handmade the mixture to a family secret recipe and brought them to us so the dish is perfectly authentic. I'm really, really fortunate because one of the biggest pain in the necks of making pasta consada is making the perfect mudigo. And the mudigo is what really represents St. Joseph. It's, it's the finishing. It's the topping. It's the piece de resistance. But we're fortunate because here in New Orleans, Miss Kathy 
She's been making it for me for the whole 13 years, and her mudiga's incredible. As we make our way into the ballroom, it's amazing to see what has to be the nation's largest celebration of St. Joseph's Day ready to kick off. The sea of red shirts and jackets, tricolored beads and fanfare. It hits me in a striking contrast to how small I used to feel every St. Joseph's Day, where my family and I would be the only people proudly wearing red and celebrating our day. Here in New Orleans, it feels like the whole city's in the ballroom, anxiously awaiting the entrance of the main course. As we walk on stage and begin to unload the heavy trays of pasta into what I'm sure is the world's largest bowl, the air is filled with the tones of one of New Orleans' greatest contributions to humanity, jazz music, which, of course, at its root, finds Italian-Americans. Don't forget, Nick LaRocca, Louis Prima, many of the originators of the art form were Sicilian-Americans, and the weekend wouldn't be the same without their incredible songs playing throughout. And then, as the music reaches a fever pitch, time has come to plate our delicacy. The serpentine line of bright-eyed and enthusiastic Italian-Americans wraps around the room, but everyone is fed from the same bowl, and, after the pasta and countless plastic cups filled with red wine have been handed out to the entire community, everybody sits together, eating and drinking, singing and dancing, and celebrating the patron saint. For me, this amazing lunch will always rank as one of the most joyous and engaging Italian-American celebrations I'm ever privileged to be a part of. But, incredibly enough, it's only the antipasto to the full meal that comes tomorrow. After singing and dancing, and oftentimes joining the band on stage for an impromptu version of one of my favorite Sicilian songs, I always feel completely and wholly welcomed into the Sicilian community of New Orleans, like I'm one of their own. Friday night is traditionally the honoree dinner, and this year, I'm the one who gets to make the speech. Before we go over, though, I call on my friend Charles Marsala, a local historian and TV personality who knows more about the Sicilian culture of the city than just about anybody I've ever met. I got into all of that, and then it kind of rolled over to the Italian heritage thing. And from there, I was always into social philanthropy. So what was so many of these different groups, and how how do we, like, socialize yeah, through, a not, through a fundraiser? Yeah. Like, to, like, these guys have now moved in to social philanthropy in a big way. Yeah, big time. I, I say to them all the time, I'm like, guys, you understand, you have a massively under-exploited platform in this thing. Yeah. Like, the people like myself that come in, you could probably get couple dozen successful Italian Americans who this is like fantasy camp for them. Sure. It's a weekend of Italian <laughs> right? And they, they like, pay. Like, like they don't allow parades at the French Quarter anymore. So there's only a few that have grandfathered I, I didn't in. even know that. Oh I don't yeah. I mean they, really? they banned parades really in the seventies. I had no so idea. So the fact that these guys get to parade in the French Quarter is very unique. So this is one of the only parades allowed in the French Quarter. It's like three or four Mac Max. I had no idea. Now, I say with floats. Right. Let me like, clarify that. You know, people can get a permit and have a, a bicycle parade in there or, or stuff like that. But to come down there with what these guys have in floats and cars, the crowd, the risk right now, fire marshal kind of shut that down really about four decades ago. And is this one of the, like, is it notable in the city's popular culture, this parade? Like, do non-Italians know of it and come out? Uh, yeah, there, there's a good turnout for it. it it's still not as... Um, I mean, it's been going on for 40, 49 years. And my dad did it in the 70s with his younger brother. So, and as I was growing up in college, some of my friends were starting to do it, and that would be in the early 80s. It, it is noted to be down here. 
I'm still surprised you don't see. It's not like the, the major Mardi Gras yeah. parades. Well, I've been shocked in that, like, it's just this great secret. Like, you know, I, I had not come down for this yet. And I said to myself, I never went to Mardi Gras, and I came down with David, and I'm like, Mardi Gras, I'm sure, is great. I never need to go to Mardi Gras. I have my own <laughs> Sicilian version. Right, right, exactly. Like, I feel like this is the weekend where my whole world... And the weather's like, better. It's warmer. That's the point. So, so this, this is a more moderate pace and it's a niche because yes. it is with our own heritage and that's one thing I love about New Orleans and this community that I've found you know every other Italian community in the country that I've interacted with you know some of them have a, a, a regional identity that's like you know Memphis is I guess Lucchese Tuscan and Piedmontese like they you know they know but this is like 90-something percent Sicilian, which, of course, I'm a quarter Sicilian, and I'm, and I'm very passionate about my Sicilian heritage, so I identify with it very strongly. But, like, it's very different down here. It's Italian-American, right. but it's really not. It's really Sicilian-American, and that's amazing. It, it really it, well, well, what I didn't realize, and as I've learned this, is when it was started, Sicily was a separate country. Exactly, yeah. And so... They're coming over, yeah. and it's you're, where you're from. You're from Sicily. Yeah, you're not true. from Italy. That's Italy true. doesn't exist. Yeah, it's amazing. Isn't it? yeah, and I, I never thought about that until I realized, you know, they were coming over. Now, you, you, you know, in the, the unification is in '61. Yeah. But still, if you came over, I guess 20 years later, you still said I'm from Sicily. Absolutely. And, and for me, learning, I didn't realize how much you know. Dinner that night feels different than it usually does. Normally, there's an honorary celebrity grand marshal there to give a speech and talk about how wowed they are by this unexpected event. But this year, it's just me. I worry a bit that my lack of notoriety may be a letdown to the guests who are used to the likes of Chaz Palminteri and Joe Piscopo and all the rest that have come down there in the recent years. But, true to form, they make me feel like the brightest star in the universe. And in some way, it's a nice break, feeling like it's just family celebrating something everybody loves. As the night wears on, we all catch up, get to spend some time in a more intimate setting. But you can tell it's kind of like Christmas Eve when you're a kid. It's a great night that you wouldn't trade for anything, but you know it's going to be difficult to sleep before Christmas morning. Traditionally, the morning of St. Joseph's Day is spent visiting the local Italian-American parishes. To this day, in New Orleans, many Italian-American families and every predominantly Italian-American church still puts out a St. Joseph's table and engages in the visitare procession around the community. Most years, David, myself, and our local friends from the St. Joseph Society usually load into a car and bop around to different parishes in Metairie and in, in, in different parishes throughout the area, places like Metairie, a New Orleans suburb which is home to the largest Sicilian-American church in the area. A few days before every feast, Sicilian-American families prep their food, bake the thousands of traditional Sicilian cuchidadi cookies, which are basically our Sicilian precursors to Fig Newtons, and decorate the city's largest altar in preparation for the feast. Then thousands of guests line up around the block to share the lunch of traditional Sicilian delicacies, most of which are topped with the aforementioned modiga, which appears in abundance on St. Joseph's Day to represent the sawdust that was a byproduct of St. Joseph's humble carpentry. These tables always seem like a football field, and every square inch is usually covered with treats that will be sold to raise money for the church. One year, we got to share a meal with the local bishop of New Orleans and a monsignor of the parish who told us he never misses the opportunity to enjoy the Feast of St. Joseph's. Every year, lunch is a multi-course affair of heaping plates of Sicilian delicacies, pastas, fishes, sweets, and the like. And by the end, 
It's always hard to imagine that you can go any further into this amazing day without a very long nap. But we always make our way back to the hotel to change for the main event. The actual St. Joseph's Day Parade is the heart of the celebrations, and the entire club, and the entire club on their families, sets out on foot and in various floats, led by their Grand Marshal and their honored guests, in topless limousines, to make their way through the French Quarter in a multi-hour carnival of Italian-American pride. Let's put it this way. It's different. Anybody can hold banquets. Let's have an Italian-American banquet. We'll honor some of them. We'll we'll eat and we'll have a banquet and we'll do some toasting uh, and eat some uh, convention-type food, which is terrible. So any organization could do that. That's easy. But putting together a parade that combines beautiful Italian-American maids all dressed in long white evening dresses with red, white, and green sasses. Combine that with 1,500 tuxedo-clad Italian-American marches. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but we do it every year. We love it. We make it a fun thing. We make it something for them to look forward to. And so who is attracted to a parade more than young people? So we use that vehicle to get young people in the organization. They have a chance to walk down through the French Quarter, uh, showing their pride and carrying red, white, and green flowers and giving complimentary, complimentary kisses to those deserving women along the route then that makes it interesting for young people. We're alive and well. They tell me I'm not allowed to enter the parade without a black tuxedo. Not blue, not checkered, only black. And if you really want to dress like a local, a red or Italian flag-colored bow tie makes a big difference. So, as I straighten out my tricolor tie and walk my way out of the hotel, I'm always floored by the sight of what seems to be an entire city bedecked in red, white, and green. There are thousands of marchers, everyone in their tuxes, crisp and perfectly pressed, but weighed down by red, white, and green beads and buttons and flowers and hats that will scream of their Italian pride to the rest of the town. The young ladies of the community are all dressed up like it's their communion day in beautiful white gowns and dainty gloves, and they are arranged in a hierarchy of maids and queens for the court of the feast day. They will be one of the central attractions to the community, And the honor of having one's daughter or granddaughter serve as the queen of the feast is something that everyone I know shares a story about. And the young men are out too, in their tuxes, oftentimes a little ill-fitting, and usually wearing sneakers instead of the patent leather dress shoes preferred by their dads and grandfathers. But they're there. All of them know each other. All of them seem as familiar as if they could be cousins. And all of them are clearly excited for the big event about to happen. Traditionally, it's David and I in this parade, but this year, Mike and I will go it alone, recognizing the great big gaping hole in our tradition. I'm happy to be able to honor Mike Greco's memory with the inclusion of his portrait on the official St. Joseph's altar float. You see, a big part of the parade happens beforehand, when everyone gathers around in an atmosphere that's as reverent as you can get for thousands of people about to parade through the French Quarter, as the priest blesses the altar, filled with photos of loved ones lost and donations of St. Joseph's Day breads and sweets and fruits that will be donated to charity afterwards. I'm always pleased to see that the religious aspect of the celebration is not lost. We pray as a group, 
and one of the ladies from the community sings a beautiful rendition of the Ave Maria, and the time comes to load up into our chariots. And I say chariots in all seriousness. You see, a lot of the old-timers have custom-made and hand-painted chariots pulled along by motorcycles or ATVs that are their pride and joy. For Mike and I, it's the Grand Marshal's Limo, a late 1970s model with the top permanently removed and two seats high in the back for us to enjoy unparalleled views of the reverie below. It's weird getting in the limo without David. One of my great memories of each of these years is the idea that we're known as the antipasto car. You see, traditionally, David and I share a little red convertible filled with beads and souvenirs that we're preparing to throw out to the crowd. And, like clockwork, David always uncorks a bottle of wine and unwraps a gigantic plate of antipasto. He brings it from the deli before we leave, and by the middle of the third day, it's a very welcome inclusion for what's about to be a wild night. But this year, Mike and I will be on empty stomachs and thinking quite a bit about the absence of our friend. We load up on beads and buttons and boas and all the other stuff that will be thrown out into the crowd. And with the heavy kick and the smell of gasoline, the car starts to roll into its place in the line. Every year, the parade itself is a Mardi Gras-like blur to the heart of the French Quarter. Italian music blaring from the floats, people dancing in the streets, and hundreds of thousands of spectators lining the route looking for our beads and souvenirs to be tossed from the car. It seems like every few feet we stop for another Italian-American from the community to come out and greet a friend from the old days or plan a big kiss and a hug on a member of their family who's marching to keep the tradition alive. As late afternoon turns into night, the neon of New Orleans' famous French Quarter becomes the backdrop for our celebrations, and our route takes us through the neighborhood and back to the Hilton for the final party of the weekend. The giant gala dinner takes up the entire ballroom of this huge convention hotel. It feels like there's thousands of tables surrounding the central dance floor, where all the members of the society's leadership and the honorees are introduced before, beaming with pride, the little ladies that make up the feast's court are invited to the dance floor to dance with their fathers and grandfathers. When the ceremonies are finished, the Darandellas break out, and the entire community, like one big family, dances and sings, visits each other's tables, and partakes in the delicacies that each has brought to their own table to share with the group. For me, the night always ends in a Chianti-induced blur, singing and dancing and twirling the red, white, and green feathered boa that I've come back with. But this year, it's a little more sedate. Not only is David missing, but one of my dearest friends, Ed, who I mentioned before, is in the hospital visiting his son-in-law, who took seriously ill the afternoon before during the pasta party. It's weird to spend a night like this in such a reflective manner, and maybe if it was my first time, I would have just chalked it up to a calm event. But for me, even with the heavy heart aching for two really dear friends, I find a little comfort in the fact that I'm here amongst a group that has become like family. I walk around the room and make sure to hug and kiss the dozens of people that have become a regular part of my year and an actual part of my life. And there's a sense that there's no going back from here, that we know each other too well. And no matter if I'm only in New Orleans for three days a year, I'm a part of this. And that feels great. When I was at NIAF, we were throwing around ideas for membership campaigns. And I came to a phrase that I'd heard a long time ago. It said, sharing blood makes you related, but sharing values makes you family. And for me, no matter how infrequent my visits, many of the people here have become family because we certainly share the values that we love about our culture. Next year is the 50th anniversary of this event, and I plan to be there with my beads and my tux and all the other tricolored kitsch that makes the event so much fun. And I hope those of you out there listening 
would consider joining us too. I'm energized by how good I feel about the Sicilian-American community in New Orleans and this unparalleled tradition. I go back every year and I try to bring friends and family to share with them what I think might be the most special weekend of the Italian-American calendar. I tell anyone that cares about their heritage to make a point to visit New Orleans from March 19th and to see something really special. If you're Sicilian or Italian or just a lover of people and culture, it's an event that shouldn't be missed. I just wanted to add that our membership consists of Italian-Americans, not only from the greater New Orleans area, not only from the state of Louisiana, but from states and cities all over the country. As a matter of fact, we have a a float uh, put in the uh, parade by uh, members of our group from uh, New York. Uh, And anybody that wants to join, please look up our website. You can join on the website. And, hey, have a good time with us next year. So I can't say anything more than if you've ever been to New Orleans, you haven't seen anything like this festival. If you have been to New Orleans and you think that you could come around St. Joseph time, it's the most incredible festival. But if you're Sicilian and you live in the United States... You haven't seen anything like this, and that's all I could say. And if you do make it out, look for me, Mike, and David in the back of our little convertible. And, if you want, join us for some antipast. This episode of the Italian American Power Hour was brought to you by the new film Dogman. Cinema Made in Italy and Magnolia Pictures present Dogman, the new film from Matteo Garone, the award-winning director of Gamora. Winner of the Best Actor Award at the 2018 Cannes Film Festival and the European Film Awards, Dogman tells a story of vengeance where only the strong will survive. Marcello is a slight, mild-mannered man who divides his days between working at his modest dog grooming salon and being coerced into the petty criminal schemes of the local bully, Simoncino, an ex-boxer who terrorizes the neighborhood. When Simoncino's abuse finally brings Marcello to a breaking point, he decides to stand up for his own dignity through an act of vengeance with unintended consequences. An official selection of the Cannes, Telluride, and Toronto Film Festivals and the winner of nine Davide Donatello Awards, the Italian Oscars, including Best Picture, Director, Screenplay, and Actor, The Guardian calls Dogman a movie with an incomparable bite and strength. Opens Friday, April 12th in New York and Los Angeles. Visit dogmanthemovie.com to watch the trailer and order tickets.